Hello, what's up? This is Enhancing the Human Experience. I'm Mark Phillips, and I'm here with Alejandro Anastasio. Hello. How's it going? Good, good. How are you, Mark? Awesome, awesome. Great, great. So um, today we have the good fortune of hearing about his recent trip to Asia, China, Tibet. China and Tibet, depending on who you ask. It could be <laughs> both or same or different, but basically I like to say that I went to Tibet for a couple weeks and then I spent some time in China, a couple weeks in China. I think I, I was gone about five and a half weeks total. So kind of half and half in, in a sense. In each. Pretty much, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and, and that's all, I know that you know being there for five weeks is a lot to cover. Um, what, why don't you tell us uh, why you went there for this trip? Well, initially, it's, it's been it's part of my Buddhist practice. Again, I'm a Dzogchen Vajrayana Buddhist. My teacher is Dzogchen Kempo Choga Rinpoche, and we have a, a plot of land that he lives on outside of Eugene, Oregon. So we're about about 160 acres, 30 miles outside of Eugene. And he was born and raised in Tibet at a time when China was taking over. Tibet, and he wants his students to go and do a medical mission out there and take care of a lot of his community. You know, in Tibet, they don't where we are located in Tibet, there isn't a lot of Western general medicine. And most of the people that we service have never seen a Western doctor. Yeah. And our teacher wants to give back to his community, wants to take care of his people in this village and in this area. And he set this up a few years ago. So he has one of his lamas. Her name is uh, Lama Shiwa. That's Shannon Young. She is a good friend of mine. Uh, we've been friends a long time. Yeah, I've met, I've met her yeah, before. Shannon's yeah, great. Shannon's great. Shannon's great. Shannon's great. She's cool, cool, cool. And so this is her third year going to Tibet on this medical mission. And this year, this is actually her fourth year. So we did three years, and I believe this is the fourth year. Uh, she asked me to attend. She asked me to go. Yeah, I was going to ask you if this is the first year, but they're they're established now. This is four, year four. They got the communities expecting them. They're, you're you're doing your thing there now, making yes, some impact. Yes, they're 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 pretty aware that we're coming, and they, they they look forward to us being there. Could be the third year. Okay, but Could still be the third year, nonetheless. Yeah, not, we're established, and it's something that we're going to be doing year after year. I love that. And it's called One Path, One Path USA, and we do a medical support mission medical mission to the tibet the area of tibet and it's no land of tibet yeah yeah definitely I, I can't wait to hear what you think about the the terrain so you fly into did you fly into china first and then head up to tibet or did yes it's a long way to get there How i that flew ride? well i flew from boise to to portland oregon and then portland oregon to san jose california and then from san jose i flew to beijing and from beijing to chengdu Okay. So generally, you might, you know, some people got a flight straight from L.A. to Chengdu, and I'll probably work that next year. But in essence, I'm flying from the United States to China. Typically takes about 13 hours. Yeah. And then you land in China, and then you had a, a multiple-day drive. Three-day drive. How was that? A little rough. <laughs> a little are, rough. Are you, in an, are you in like an SUV-type vehicle? No, we're in smaller vehicles because, again, that area... The area that we're going to for most of China is considered Sheshawan, China. It, it, is, it actually borders the, it, it is right on the edge of what China considers China. And then when I say when China considers China, it's some part of the political military faction. Most people in China probably don't know or don't contemplate it. But people in Tibet say that you're in, I'm in Tibet. Oh. But if you, the autonomous 
region of Tibet borders this area of China. So you're kind of crossing over this delineation. A little bit. It's a gray area. It's uh-huh. really a gray area based on the, the political situation between China and Tibet. Sure. But I'm pretty much in Tibet. Yeah. And it takes it took us three days to get there. It's okay. a, and, and we drove in four small cars, just four average cars, one SUV, a couple SUVs, and, and a regular vehicle. What's that terrain like? What's the road well, it's, like? Well, you know, the road is paved most of the way. The road is paved most of the way, but driving in China, in that area of China, is not like driving in America. I can And it's imagine. a two-lane highway, and it moves fairly slow, and there's huge trucks, and people are constantly driving on both sides of the road. So, you know, the, the passing mentality and culture is so very different. And we did so many passes around blind turns, you know, and then, you know, and then other cars are coming, and it's just... You know, the, the car, if we try to pass and then we have to get into the lane, we just cut the person off that's to our right. And the person that we just cut off is used to being cut off because they're doing it to us. And it's just a very strange culture. People are trying to inch their way for hundreds of miles. I've heard that about other cultures like, you know, well, I shouldn't say cultures, places like Puerto Rico. The driving is like insane. So it's pretty exhilarating would you say that yeah no we almost died many times yeah <laughs> that's we, scary yeah and it's a little rough because we come around a blind curve and there's a car coming at a very high rate of speed and honking is very common and yeah it's different i mean it was an experience to do that for th- pretty much three days so, so it's not a pleasant you're not there sightseeing you're like holding on to your <laughs> well a little bit i mean there's a lot of sightseeing going on because it's all you can do and it's very beautiful driving into the himalayas is it you're and, up and up and up climbing. yeah we climbed up to about thirteen thousand feet and part of the reason why we do three days is so we can acclimate a little bit is that part yeah yeah as opposed to driving you know two 12-hour days or an 18-hour day we could probably get there a lot quicker but we're going pretty much from, you know, I'm going from Portland, Oregon. I mean, Boise, Idaho is at 3,000 feet. And the next thing you know, I'm at 13,000, 14,000 feet. So, yeah. So, so you're cruising. So you, you three days to get there. Three then, days to get there. Is yeah. there one, what, what is, is there one major city in Tibet or, or how does that, are you in one, like the major, major city? No, no, you, no. The major city in, in what we would say Tibet is Lhasa. And okay. that's the center of the autonomous region of Tibet. That's what they call it because it's, it's just in question. You know, I mean, it's not in question for the people of Tibet. Right. But I'm in actually a very small, very small city. That's right. Because that it's your, your It's my teacher's, teacher's hometown okay. that is what's called the village the Dzogchen village. So the Dzogchen monastery is up in the mountains. You know, it's like a 15-minute walk from the village, and there's about a 1,000 people that actually live in the village. There's more people that live in the monastery. There's more people training, but there's a village of people at the bottom of kind of the monastery. Yeah, so you're you're staying in that village and or the monastery? No, we're pretty much at the village. Okay, Yeah. doing your medical mission. Doing our medical mission. How, how, big, how many people in this village approximately? About a thousand. Okay, so semi-tiny, semi-small, but... It's pretty small and it's, it's third world quality. Is you know, it? There's not a lot of running water. Most people don't have toilets. Yeah, toilets are unheard of. I mean, we had an outhouse okay. by the river. Dirt and, streets and yeah, pretty, all of primitive. that. Yeah, very third world. Yeah, a lot of electricity and a lot of people have cell phones. Is that so? I that's was going to ask China, you, how, how's the technology over that? Well, you know what? I mean, we are uh, their cell phone reception because it's pretty much run by China is much better than America. Is it? And we are in some highly secluded areas, and no one that is Chinese or Tibetan that has a cell phone 
ever lost reception. Really? Yeah, and we're in the middle of nowhere. We're driving up to, you know, mountain peaks and driving through valleys, and we are completely isolated. And nobody lost cell phone reception. So we were, could you call on your cell phone? Does no, I don't, have, I don't have international data. Oh, okay, but if you did, you'd be totally set. I'd be fine. Yeah, if I had a Chinese SIM card. Uh-huh. But uh, it's not that easy to get internet as an American in China. Is it? They, yeah. they locked that down pretty It's tight. a little tight. Yeah, certainly not that much social media, Facebook, and, and things of that nature. But I was gonna say. if I had international data, yeah, I could get on... I could get on the internet through with the use of my data and my cell phone, sure. but I don't have access to Google or anything like that. You got you got to get a VPN. You got to trick them. Yeah, a little bit. And I finally figured out how to do it, but it's just not that efficient. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, if you're a, if you're a Chinese citizen, yeah, you have a Chinese telephone number and a Chinese SIM card. Yeah, it's no problem. Yeah, you never run out of cell phone reception. I've heard that about those foreign places that are well. China is no joke when it comes to that. Yeah, and they're they're. Uh, there's power lines and cell phone stations all throughout the mountainscapes that really? we, we drove through. But did, So it's just the running water and the indoor toilets. Yeah, it's an interesting dichotomy. I can imagine. I mean, the place is really, you know, where we were at is very poor, but most people have cell phones and very good reception and TVs and some, some electricity. But at the same time, there's no plumbing. There's no running water like for a bathroom. And most people just used outside faucets and cooked on uh, yak poop burning stoves. I've heard that. Where they go collect this yak poop and then feed it into the... Yeah, and then they feed it into the fire. How's that smell? No smell at all. Not that I could tell. My nose doesn't work that well. Oh, that's right. Brain trauma when I was a kid. I had encephalitis. So one one of the side effects is that you lose a little... Uh, your ability to smell well, well and i guess you know if the yak's just eating a vegetation it might not be that bad yeah. I, I don't know i mean did, did, did you <laughs> no did no your I, I, did, I didn't think it wasn't that bad i i didn't think it was that bad at all but there's mm. a running joke in tibet that even if you eat yak it's vegetarian because all the yaks eat sure. grass right yeah it's a it's, it's a funny joke because most people i encounter are monastic and meaning vegetarian based most, most yeah or? most but a lot of people but not uh, a lot of villagers and and peasants and herders they all eat meat yeah so basically. so were were there like the people waiting for your medical mission to come on board and like get them some medical attention or was it can I get the word out well no we they they know we're coming so people are prepping and some people have to travel pretty far Walk for days or ride horses for days or, you know, bum rides and that kind of thing. But after we got there, we have one day to set up. And it's pretty much in this small building. It's fairly tight. And we just, we set up, you know, where I'm with nine doctors. I'm security. I'm called what's, I am what's called Geku. So I'm there because I have a couple of black belts and I can help keep people in check. And I'm my students, I'm my teacher's student. So I'm in the lineage. I'm Buddhist. I'm a Tibetan Buddhist. Everybody there knows Dzogchen Kempo Chogha Rinpoche because he's very well known in the Tibetan Buddhist community, and he's also in America. So that name is well known. All we have to say is that we're his students, and people have a general idea of what's going on. Um, but yeah, we have to set everything up, and it took us a day to set all the medicine up. I'm with nine doctors. They're all female. It's a f- basically a female-run program. Wow. I'm just security. Yeah. So I'm there to kind of protect them, so to speak, but also keep people in line and 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 to keep some order because I think it's important to understand that in in this place in this culture, most people don't stand in a queue or stand in line, 
And part of it is, is that this kind of resource or any resource is very limited. So it's more of, of a first come, first serve. And people push their way to the front. So it's like a mob type thing. It can be, like, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It, it, it can be a little challenging. And then I don't speak Tibetan or Chinese. So you had a translator? Yes. Most of the time I had a translator, but then I don't, I don't know how well the translation goes. And it, yeah, it can just be a little quirky. I can imagine. It can be a, it can be a little challenging. But we set up for a day and then... And then the next day we're on. So, you know, it took me pretty much 24 hours to fly there. But in essence, it took 36 hours with travel time. And then I spent the night in Chengdu, Sheshawan, China. And then the next day we're driving. And then we're driving basically for three days. Stopping in little towns on the way to get there? Yeah, we stop for lunch and then we stop for dinner and, and pretty much go to bed. Uh-huh. And it's an interesting experience to have 40% less oxygen. It, did you feel it in Oh, yeah. The second night I was laying in bed breathing. I could never get enough oxygen. Always, yeah, it was really a very strange experience. You know? How long did it take you to acclimate? Probably took me... To acclimate well, it probably took me six days, almost the, really? almost our whole trip. Yeah. Did everyone have that same? Yeah, experience? we have high altitude medicine and and things like that, and things to take for headaches. And yeah, so you got a taste thing. of what they do, go, what they feel going up, uh, what uh, Himalayas and yeah. Everest. I guess so, but I mean that's twenty six thousand feet, basically, so almost twice as high as we were, and yeah, I couldn't imagine. So so what's the what's the state of the health over there in these people? Are they doing okay or? I generally believe that overall they're doing okay, uh, but then you see some odd things. You know, infections get a little weird, and they have a hospital there, but not everybody has access to it. And I think generally the health, the perception of health is a little lower because it's third world. Yeah. But generally, I think people are physically healthy. They probably they have their their ancient ways of yeah they have a lot healthy, of they, right? they have a lot of holistic medicine that goes on there and that kind of thing and yeah and uh, and then some things they just deal with you know like bad hygiene bad teeth um, just things that have to do with like skin issues because they don't clean a lot a lot of people don't shower a lot there's no running water yeah it's probably not pleasant to to chill by the faucet in the middle of winter and take a bath no right? no 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 and then even the uh a lot of the no, my teacher has brothers that live there and they're all high 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 monks and one of the monks one of his brothers was talking to us a number of people had called him and they expressed their appreciation and gratitude that we came out because they're like oh you know they're they're very kind to us and you know they touch us and they we know we don't shower a lot and we can smell like yak and yak butter and yeah sometimes the smell is unpleasant is it so yeah even you got to even you got to yeah taste it yeah anymore. i can smell but if if i smell it i know it's bad i can imagine yeah so um you're you're in this town there did you get a chance to see some of the uh, i guess traditional tibetan um the bigger temples and with the prayer wheels and stuff like that. Oh, well, did there's. You, did there, you go to the Lhasa or? No, no, we couldn't get to Lhasa. Okay, Lhasa is still away. pretty far. Okay. Yeah, that probably would take us another four days to drive to Lhasa. Okay. I think people underestimate the distance from Lhasa to Chengdu is probably a five day drive. Oh, you're still okay. You're yeah. still away. We're still so. a couple days away. Okay. A couple days away. So and there's no opportunity to get to Lhasa. Okay. You can't just drive there as an American. Oh, really? Yeah, you need you need a special visa. Be, because it's a holy place or because China puts the clamp down on it? Well, that? just because that that's kind of what Lhasa is considered the autonomous region of Tibet. 
and you you can't as a as a Westerner I can't just fly into there. I need a I need a certain type of visa. Oh really? And those visas I can't get as an individual. I have to go as a group. Really? Okay. Yeah. So so they're not seeing a lot of a lot of foreign traffic. I, that's what I was curious about. If you you had a chance to you know wrap it out like Eddie Murphy in uh, The Golden Child, I want the knife. Oh yeah. <laughs> Did you get it? <laughs> well yeah. They're okay in the in this village. They have buildings that that are wrapped with prayer wheels. Is that okay? Even yeah. in the small villages. They, yeah. They're big on the prayer wheels. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing because that whole area is Buddhist. Sure, it's not like being here in the United States. We're 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 a Christian-based culture. So here in Boise, Idaho, there's on the hill there's a cross, right? But you go to you go to Tibet, and there's like there's Buddha Shakyamuni on a mountain carved in rock on a mountain and painted. Pamasambhava carved in a rock, painted. Wow. I mean, just like nothing I've ever seen. Everywhere mantras written, carved in stone, just all across the mountainside. Buddhas everywhere. Tara, Pamasambhava, Manjushri. Just, yeah, I was. Well, as a Buddhist, it's actually quite refreshing. I'm sure you. I'm sure it was almost like well, a, a spiritual experience. Yeah, it's very powerful. And then every, you know, most people have malas. Most people are doing mantras. You know, it's a Tibetan. It's a cultural thing. So it's very different than being here. Very different. But did I actually get to the Dzogchen Monastery? Yes. Okay. So how far is that from this little town? Just up the Probably, hill. Probably yeah, say? just right up the hill. I mean, it's maybe a ten minute car drive, a thirty minute walk. Well, what's yeah, that maybe. monastery like? It's more modern than I thought. And it's huge, really. And but it's been there for thousands of years. Is that like the Zojin monastery that everything else they send their their lamas and stuff? Yeah, out that's to the one world, of the main Zojin Zojin monasteries. But the Tibetan uh, Tibetan Buddhism has four main teachings. Four okay. main. I wanted to say factions, but that's probably not a good right. One. But yeah, but, just four main. Vehicles or directions, okay. you know, and there's Dzogchen, which I'm part of, and then there's Galup, which is the Dalai Lama, and then there's Kagyu, and then there's Shakya. And, and they all the, coexist in the Yeah, they all, they're, all, they're all Tibetan. <clears throat> it's all Tibetan Buddhism, but each one is different. So the Shakya Monastery is further away. I'm not quite sure where the Galup Monastery is based, but we're at the Dzogchen Monastery. So a lot of uh, Nyingma... Teachers come out of the Dzogchen Monastery. They train there. It's the Sri Singha University. Okay. Yeah, it's very highly acclaimed Buddhist monastery. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So that's the that's the place. And so you, it was more modern than you thought. Yeah, it was very modern mm-hmm. compared to the village, of course. Yeah. But people donate a lot of money to to support the lineage. And there are practitioners up there. Yeah, there's lamas hundreds, and... if not over a thousand. Just everywhere really? you look. I mean, yeah, it's it's a gigantic city. I mean, it's astounding. Is How, it like the, the picturesque type set on a kind of a mountain oh, yeah, face no, with the thing? So, no kidding. Blindingly wow. beautiful. Blindingly beautiful with the the backdrop of the Himalayas. You know, wow. and I mean, it's it's auspiciously chosen to be in a certain spot high up in the mountains. I and can it's imagine. Just, it's absolutely beautiful. Wow. Absolutely beautiful. And then, of course, we went we went to the main the main building the main monastery we also went to one of the main stupas and then uh, that day we I was circumambulating which is circling the stupa and doing mantras and and then somebody on the inside opened the door and started letting us in so we actually got to go inside the stupa which was just a 
Is that rare? Is that rare for people who aren't there? Rare, I guess. I I don't know. I'm not. I don't spend a lot of time there. Yeah. You know, and we're Westerners, so we stick out. I mean, I'm with a tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, and everybody wants to take pictures with her. She looks (laughs) like an alien, comparatively. You know. Yeah. It's just really a very, very unique experience, and um, and then we went to a lot of holy places. So you know, I don't know how important that is to know. If you're not really Tibetan Buddhist, the names don't make a lot of sense. But right. But 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 the general, like you said, that that's a that's a very spiritual, it's a very sacred area, part of our world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, that area of the world is very holy. Can you feel? Can you feel it in the energy air there? I I can. Do you think that's because you're in that practi- you're the practitioner of that? Did I mean? Is it just a general sense you think? Of? Well, I think bo- two, both. Yeah, there's a general sense of that because it's a monastery, and typically, whenever you walk into a church, you lower your voice. You walk into a monastery, you lower your voice. You walk into a mosque, you lower your voice. Hindu temple, you lower your voice. It's ca- kind of common, common scenarios, you know. But yeah, this whole area is just very. Yeah, because that's like the the epicenter of a lot of deep practice. Well, yeah, for yeah. For the Zoch in right? that area, if you look on a map, you know, but also that's still pretty far from Lhasa. And then there's just monasteries galore out there. All over. I mean, we're just driving and there's huge monasteries everywhere and villages. Just I, I'm astounded at how much wow. Buddhism is going on out there. You hear about it, but until you actually see it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's amazing i can imagine so yeah we spent we you know we had three days of medical mission one day off and then three days of medical mission and then we drove back for two days okay so the one day off is when you're exploring and checking out the place yeah and then we actually we went to this lake we went to this lake and we ran into the what's this this monk he's actually a a yogi so he's a hermit but he lives in these woods and he's known as the barefoot yogi, and he's got dreadlocks, and he just looks like a, a, a yogi, mm-hmm. wild yogi, lives out in the woods, you know. And, but you know, he's talking to us. People are gathering around him, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to get a blessing and this kind of thing. And then he pulls out his cell phone, and <laughs> oh, of course, yeah, yeah. But you know, there's even even like the yak herders that we went to go see traditional yak herders that live in yak made tents, and they live off yak, yeah. off the milk and the butter, and they sell it and all of this and. And uh, they have no electricity, but they all have cell phones. That is so bizarre. Yeah, they have solar power. Yeah. Oh, is that what they're doing? Yeah, so it's, they're, it's amazing. Yeah. They're like connected. Well, it's an interesting dichotomy. That yeah, I, you it would know, be. It's just, it's so interesting to see. Because it's not like they're going to order up a pizza or... Uh, well, nothing know. like that. But they have other friends that are on WeChat, which is, sure. you know, the kind of the Asian WhatsApp. Yeah. You know, WhatsApp's more popular in Europe, but that's how people stay connected. And, yeah. And uh, it's just it's a it's an interesting dichotomy. I, I experienced a lot of things being out there, and I can imagine, and, and that was one of them. Just kind of that dichotomy of of the quality of living versus the quality of like accessible technology. And yeah. you know, everybody's most people have a cell phone. Yeah, it's really quite astounding to see a, a yak herder pull out their. Oh, I can imagine their it, iPhone. That would be very iPhone. strange. Yeah, very very odd, very odd, very odd. But. The medical mission went really well. We serviced a lot of people. We did a lot of good things. People were very grateful. And some people needed a lot of help. I bet. And uh, they wait all year, you know, to come in and get treatment and help and advice. And we, I worked mostly as security, so I regulated a lot of things. But I also directly worked with the optometrist that was there. And we gave out a lot of glasses. We helped people see more. Oh, you took glasses over there, too? Yeah, we took like 1,500 pairs of glasses. Wow. And 500, 800 sunglasses. 
Because there's a lot of issues with being so high up in so much yeah. sunlight, people's eyes get burned out towards the end of their life. And, I can imagine. Yeah, so we, we give out a lot of sunglasses, and then we also give out a lot of reading glasses. And Wow. And then, yeah, we do a lot of Buddhist practice, and, and yeah, it was really a very powerful experience. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah like nothing I've ever experienced before, just to kind of see that and yeah, see how people live in the third world. But at the same time, you know, they're very grateful, very happy people and they're yeah. very happy that we were there and very kind in most cases sometimes the the cues get weird people don't want to wait in line and it gets a little funky it's a good thing i got a couple black belts i was gonna say you have to like, keep them in line there well right? yeah and it's really funny because when i when i do my internships with my teacher one of my jobs is head of security is geku and that's a monastery role that's a tibetan buddhist monastery role so security is geku chant master is udze and then they have the ceremony master, which is Chopin. So in, people train all their lives in monasteries to have these roles. And um, here in the United States, nobody r- really understands what Geku means. Right. right. But, you know, even at the monastery, people don't know. You know, I keep track of time. I ring all the bells. I get up early. I go to bed late. I make sure everybody shows up on time. If people don't show up, I got to go get them. I just, I keep order. Keep the order. Yeah, sure. I keep everybody on track. And and it's an interesting Position. I but can then, imagine you're the glue. You're kind of the. In a weird way, yeah. And people enjoy me being Geku because I'm stern but fair, and I'm also kind, but I'm authoritative. So they they can trust me, and they have faith in me. So it's easier to follow the rules that way. Yeah. So people, Geku actually means Sangha chosen one, mm. and people choose me for this role. Okay. Yeah. Like an but elected yeah. position. Yeah. So at the monastery, when I mean, at the, on the medical mission, you know, I carry a stick and that's kind of a sign of Geku. And then, you know, I, I, I have to convey security. So I keep people in check and I do all this stuff. And I just remember this one time, uh, the line is getting a little weird. And then I come up and I start saying some things and the translator talks. And then I grab my stick and I come out to the front and this, this, this like, Tibetan guy in his 40s, he's like, oh, oh, Geku, and he runs off. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, so the culturally, <laughs> they're very aware of the position of Geku, so they know that they, they kind of need to listen to me and that I'm no joke. Yeah. And it was really funny because I'm like, oh, this would never happen in America. This guy actually knows who I am, my role. And respects you. Yeah, on one level, and he also knows he's probably a little bit of a troublemaker because he's like, oh, oh, Geku, and he ran off. <laughs> right, I've run to Gekus before, right? Yeah, 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 he's like, on the monastery, I was always getting hit by Geku or, you know, getting checked by Geku. So That's so funny. It, it is funny. It is funny. And we did a lot of good things. And it, it, it's challenging. It gets cold at night. You know, we were sleeping outside. Oh, really? Yeah, we're sleeping in tents. I mean, it's 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 grassroots medical support. Yeah, pretty sparse. Pretty sparse. Yeah, we have to raise money to do it. I paid to be there. I don't get paid to do it. I took a lot of time off work. Yeah, you were gone for like, like say, five weeks total-ish, right? I was gone for five and a half weeks total. And I believe in Tibet, I was there for... 12, 12 to 14 days from the time I left America. So it's four days travel time, four days travel time, and then three days medical mission, that's seven. One day off, that's eight. Three more days medical mission, nine, 10, 11. Yeah, two days driving back, 12, 13, and one and left uh, overnight stay in Chengdu. Chengdu. Yeah, so 14 well, days total. Yeah. So you, you do your medical mission, you go back, and I know you, you went to the Shaolin... Uh, yeah, I stayed longer. You know, it's really interesting. I stayed, I stayed an extra two and a half weeks. Oh, the, your crew left. Your yeah, crew they, everybody back. that I went with left after the fourteenth day. So we got to Chengdu. We had one f- extra day in Chengdu, and then we can hang out and enjoy the Chinese culture. 
And and then the next day, I believe it was like September 2nd or 3rd, not quite sure. But every everyone pretty much flew out. So you're solo then. I'm solo at that point. So before you talk about the Shaolin, give us a glimpse of Chinese culture. Like what you what how do you, what do you think about the Chinese? Oh, I love culture? the Chinese culture. Yeah, I have a interesting karmic affinity for China. Okay. Even though I study a Japanese martial art, and then uh, all my three black belts are in Japanese style martial arts, Aikido and uh, well, Kaju Kempo is not. That's more of an American version of a, a set of martial arts, but then uh, some jujitsu also. So, um, but you, but you like, but you have like I a connection China. to China. So. Yeah, I really love China. I love the people. I love the food. <clears throat> you know, it's a, it, it, it's very different than here. Is it? Yeah, just yeah, culturally, everything's very different. Are you in a bigger? Are you in one of the bigger cities? Or well, it's. I I don't think they consider it that big. There's 14 million people that yeah. live yeah, there. Yeah, like to, to them, it's a tiny baby city, right? Well, even like even like the Gulan, uh, Kuiling, I I believe there's four million people that live there, and they're like, oh, that's kind of a small city. Wow, four million. But uh, yeah, Chengdu is getting pretty big at 14 million, but it's certainly not one of their biggest cities. Like Beijing or whatever. Yeah, Beijing and, and Shanghai and Hong Kong all probably have 20, 25 million people that live there. And, yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a thing. You know, it's, a, it's tight. It's, just, it's a yeah. bustling. Urban. Yeah, they're going to the airport. It's just like insane. And then, you know, there's queues everywhere. Everybody, there's always a line for everything. Wow. And then my friend, one of, I have a friend that lives there. Uh, his name's Luke. He lives uh, in y- Yangshu. I'm probably saying that incorrect. But he's like, oh, it's very rare to actually be alone in China. So we were like cruising around on his scooter. And then we'd have like 15 seconds where there was nobody around us. He's like, see, we're alone. Very rare. So they cherish those moments. Is that it? I don't know. I, <laughs> I was talking to this one girl. I met this Chinese girl there. And she said, uh, culturally, if you spend time alone in China, they think you're a little weird. Is that so? Yeah. And they really always want you to do things in groups, which is why in China you always see large groups of people doing things. Really? Yeah. It's just, it's a, a much different culture than ours. I can imagine. Yeah. And of course, they're up and coming. You know, yeah. People project in 40 years, China's going to take over the world. Uh, a lot of people believe right now they're already owning the world. Well, and they've bought up billions of dollars of our debt and they own yeah. incredible amounts of our property and things like that. And I'm noticing more and more movies you know, when you when they have the first initial credits and they yeah. say what studios and this and that, it seems like more and more movies have Chinese. China's studios. coming up. They're in their industrial revolution. They're totally up and coming. But they they have been a, a global player for five thousand years. Their culture right. is five thousand years old. Right. So it's a great place to be. I I have always had an affinity for China. Why I, I didn't take up Chinese kung fu? I don't know. Maybe but I just yeah. yeah down the road. Maybe. Yeah, you never, never know. know. Yeah, I could always do a little more kung fu. I just saw I just went and saw Birth of the Dragon, the Bruce, Bruce Lee story. Oh, there's a new, I didn't know that. Yeah, they, they didn't do that well in the box office. I thought it was okay, but I just came back from from so you were right from the were... Shaolin Temple. Yeah, there was a scene where they were at the Shaolin Temple. And Is that I was so? Like, my, I just tell my mom, I'm like, oh, that's I was just there. But yeah, so I I, I did the medical mission, and then I I chose to stay longer. I took I took time off work and if I'm going to go that far I have a rare opportunity you got to make it count and I got to make it count so I don't want to just go to the medical mission I also want to do other things and you know in essence this whole thing is a giant pilgrimage it's all about service as a Buddhist I'm going to support my teachers activities I'm going to help people service people practice bodhicitta try to 
diminish people's suffering, be the condition of their happiness, help them in as ways as many ways as that I, I can. So yeah, I take time off. I paid to go, and then also I want to do more pilgrimages. You know, I'm a martial artist. Most people are like Kung Fu. Most people like martial arts. Most people like Jackie Chan, Jet Li, Michelle Yeoh, Chow Yun Fat, Jackie Chan, all these things. If, if you're into martial arts, you have some affinity yeah. to Buddhism because there's a big relationship there that, and it really centers around the Shaolin Temple. Yeah, and I definitely want you to t- talk about, you know, so the Bodhidharma and give us, give us your take on yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah pivotal character yeah he's a pivotal character in chinese martial arts and buddhism he's a and he's one one of the reasons why i also went you know i I mean i do want to say this the main reason why that i went on this medical mission is because this lama asked me to go lama shiwa shannon young formally requested that i go and support her and the women and do security so of course yes i went and also to support the, the bigger picture is to support my dharma teachers activities help my teachers activities but at the same time i also realize i have an opportunity to go to the shaolin temple now it's much further away than i thought i had to get on a high-speed train for eight hours really cruising along at like what 200 300 miles 300 an hour? miles an hour eight yeah, hours 100, 190 kilometers well we weren't at 190 kilometers an hour the whole time right yeah we're cruising along at a high rate of speed and but i went so i i wanted to do it uh, like a, a martial art buddhist pilgrimage and i'm very interested in going to bodhidharma's cave and going to the shaolin temple as a martial artist the shaolin temple as a buddhist bodhidharma's cave as a buddhist that does martial arts pretty much the shaolin temple is my next pilgrimage mecca yeah it's just for me it's astounding so what was that like what was oh no it's unbelievable unbelievable but i after Chengdu, i spent two days in in uh, yangshu which is way southern china where my friend lives we have a little moldavite connection so i went to go visit him and i just hung out there for two days it's all i could afford time wise and then from yangshu i i took a bus to kuiling and from kuiling i took a high-speed train to Zhenzhou, which is the major city that's very close to the Shaolin Temple. Okay. And then from there, I have to take a, a cab, f- drive for an hour and a half to get to the Shaolin Temple. Oh, really? So yeah. still, you're still a ways away. They don't have like a shuttle or a bus type situation? Yeah, I think you could, but not. I arrived, I arrived at, uh, I missed my train due to the line, so okay. I had to wait an extra five hours. I didn't arrive to the Shaolin Temple till one thirty in the morning. Oh, so really? Are yeah. you staying in a hotel near the ta- temple? or Yeah, well, the, 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 the Shaolin Temple itself is bigger than people think, and it's a very large kind of tourist attraction. Yeah, really? Yeah, that's part of it. Uh, and all that other stuff is there, but yeah, it's mostly a lot of tourists. So even when I went to Borobudur, the world's largest and old one of the oldest uh, Buddhist temples in the island of uh, Java in Indonesia. There's you know, most people there aren't Buddhist, and even the Buddhists that are there aren't there to do any kind of pilgrimage. They're just there to see this ancient world heritage site. Yeah, and I get it. The Shaolin Temple is very similar, but um, I was staying in the village. The, so the Shaolin Temple itself also has a village where most of the up and coming Shaolin monks train okay so i was actually staying at a, at a hostel called the kung fu hostel oh nice <laughs> <laughs> and it's right in the village like i had no idea but i went to bed at like two in the morning and then at 5 30 in the morning i just he- hear people ki and kids ki and marching ba da hi ba ba hi ba ba hi one two three hi this kind of thing and they're just i can just hear kids running and and stretching and and i am just 
tired. In, in the in the facility, in the place you're staying. Like right training. out my window. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, there's just hundreds, hundreds. There had to be 1,200 kids that I... Wow. ...that are in this village that are training in the Shaolin arts. Yeah, so they, so the village so kind of has the infrastructure. They've got places to stay and places to eat. Yeah. But then you, the tourists can go. Yeah, they, you said it's very touristy. Well, the, I, there aren't a lot of tourists in the village. Okay, they but the Shaolin Temple is a quarter mile away, so okay. I can walk there from where I'm located. What's that village like? Give us a glimpse of that. It's like high end third world. You know, I mean, there's a couple of shops and um, a couple of restaurants. And some really low-key 7-Elevens, so to speak. But it's more like somebody's large walk-in closet that's just got a lot of goods that I can't read. Yeah. And some restaurants. Commerce and stuff Yeah, just people selling. Yeah, it's like a convenience store. Okay. Noodles and candy and beer. Yeah, did you get some food? Did you get some good food there? Yeah, I, I visited the one restaurant pretty much the whole time and... I just experimented with whatever food they were offering. And, yeah. And uh, mostly I'd, I'd get up early and watch kids train. You know, and I, I got to say, it was an absolute kung fu arama, right? <laughs> so and this is kung fu in the just air. Just kung it's fu everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, man. I mean kung fu everywhere. You know, there's just like hundreds of kids running around stretching, doing kung fu. And then they, they have the logs that are standing straight up in the ground at different levels. And they're jumping from log to log, doing kung fu on each other. Yeah, there are kids running around with staffs and bows and swords and sighs and katas and... Just everything, all kung fu weapons, kids training all day, all night from five in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. So at night I went walking around and way down in the corner of the village, there's a giant parking lot and it's got basketball nets everywhere, but nobody's playing basketball. They're all doing kung fu. Right. And all the teachers are lined up and they all have rows and rows of students and they're all like doing their stuff and the teacher's giving them critiques and... And they're all wow. just taking their turns training. So that 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 would be it's like a kung fu training ground for these you know these yeah young kids. these are kids that live in pretty much a Shaolin monastery setting. They're trying to come up to be the next Jet Li or uh, Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee or something like that. Yeah, you know. But it's interesting. I mean, I taught martial arts for ten years, as you know, Mark Absolutely. G. Mark Phillips was one of my students in my Aikido school, and and uh, you have you, you know I can look at these kids and I can see who's a little more serious who's not who's training hard who's not who's training hard late at night who's screwing around late at night you know who's eating chocolate who's eating healthy yeah you know and because there's only a small amount of these kids that actually come out and can travel around the world as Shaolin monks or get some kind of uh, higher privilege because I also uh, I went to Urzu Temple, which is the temple of the second abbot, which is Hoi Ko's temple, which is one of the other main reasons why I went on this pilgrimage. And then I, they, the monks there asked me to spend the night, and there was a young Shaolin monk. Him and I had a very nice connection, and, and I could see that his Shaolin Kung Fu was very good. A lot of people wanted to see us do battle or... You know, they wanted to see our Do martial arts. Yeah, yeah, but I was like, no, there's, so we just hugged each other. Yeah, and they're like, <laughs> you know? oh. Yeah, because the martial arts, you know, Aikido, Kung Fu, martial arts are really about self-discipline and, and self-discovery, right? And about training yourself, not about kicking ass and that kind of thing. And he didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. We both knew we didn't want to do it. We didn't really do that much of it. But we did play around a little bit with each other. But the thing is, is they speak Chinese. I speak English. I don't speak Chinese. They don't speak English. So we had to Google Translate stuff. And one of the questions I wanted to ask is, how did you get here? How are you at this temple when all the other monks want to be kids in training aren't? Yeah. So obviously you made some cut because the other two abbots were like, yeah, this kid's kung fu is very good. 
you know, and then there's a, a, a number of Shaolin monk troops that travel around the world doing demonstrations. I've seen those spread. on yeah. TV. And yeah, and I've seen them twice live. They're fascinating. No, it's unbelievable, you know, the, the training that they go through. and But, I, you know, I can't really ask those questions because I don't, our language barrier is too far apart. Right. But it was unbelievable. So, yeah, I, you know, I got up and I just spent a day hanging out watching kids train just watching them do their thing and drinking coffee and watching them train. And then I was like, oh, I should go check out. Let me, let me get, let me get a layout of the Shaolin temple. Yeah, let me it. go down yeah. there. And you know, there's a main Shaolin, there's the actual Shaolin temple. There's two Buddhist temples that are down there. Um, and then there's like a, a, a more advanced academy about a quarter mile from the Shaolin temple. And then there's an auditorium where they, for the tourists, they have the Shaolin presentations every hour and a half they do a half hour presentation then there's hundreds of kids training they have an outside training hall and then they have a couple of other buildings the the monastery grounds is actually pretty big is it yeah bigger than you would think because it's the base of a mountain mountain range you know and then to get up to Bodhidharma's cave, you got it's a thousand steps upward. It took me like an hour to walk up there. Was it? Uh, is there a steady line of people going up there, or is it less people? Going There's to less people up going there? up there because part of it is it's a lot of work. Yeah. How tell what what's that like up in that cave? You feel some energy up there? Yeah, I got this. I got a powerful vibe out of Bodhidharma's cave. It's it's um, what's the word I'm looking for? It is the caretaker there is a nun. Okay, and lives in that cave and pretty much lives in that area. I don't think she actually lives in the cave, but a little above the cave at the top of the mountain, there's a like a 12 meter, what is that, 36 foot statue of Bodhidharma. Okay. And then there's another, there's a couple more nun caretakers that are up there. And I think all of them sleep in this, I, I don't even know what, I don't even know what to call it other than a shack. It's like a half brick shack. It's totally out. Pretty in the small. Open. Well, it's small and it's open. Oh, it's not like walls. Like, like you, yeah, okay, I've seen it. Like I've seen those types of things on tops of mountains. Like yeah, it's just pictures. I just I kind of went there. I thought it was a bathroom, a latrine, you yeah. know. And, and and then this this one of the cleaning guys, he said something in Chinese. He was waving like no, 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 no. And I was like, I look. I was like, oh, sorry. I was like sleeping quarters. And then he motioned. He he did like. Uh, charades, you know, he, yeah, the universal sign for, for sleeping. sleeping. Yeah, put his, <laughs> you know, put his hands together and rested his head on his side, and and uh, I kind of realized I'm like, oh, this is where they sleep. But so yeah, the cave how is big pretty is the cave. Small. Cave is like, um, it's not very big. It's probably twice the size of an average bathroom. Okay, if that even. Now, now what what did Bodhidharma do? I know he brought. The kung fu to the Shaolin people, but what other? What's he known for? What's well, his he, name? yeah, 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 yeah. He's, you know, it's not so much he brought sh- kung fu to the people, but he brought a, the, the. He's a genesis of martial arts. Okay. So the the mystical legendary story says. Okay. You know, and that's mostly he brought a, the, like the, the eighteen hands of Lohan movements and Arhat stick movements, and and it's said that he spent a lot of time in the woods watching animals and mimicking their movements, which ended up turning into the the five basic Kung Fu external martial arts. Okay. Which if you're into Kung Fu Panda, there's some legitimacy there other than the the panda. Sure. <laughs> but even even the internal martial arts like Tai Chi, Bagua, Sishi, Qigong, and Liu Hubbafa, you know, these are all the, the, the genesis of most external martial arts. But yeah, he... 
Bodhidharma is 28th in line to Buddha. So you can trace Bodhidharma's teachers, 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 all the way back to Gautama Siddhartha. So he's a, in, a reincarnation of... We wouldn't say... He's not a, a reincarnation of... of of Buddha Shakyamuni, that that is only Pamasambhava. Okay, but this is probably deeper Buddhist information than most no, people. No, I, I think it's because he's a pivotal character. Yeah, he's twenty eighth in us line. A lot of awesome. He's direct lineage holder of of Buddhism. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah. so he he's actually twenty eighth in line. He's Buddha had a student. Buddha's main student. Gotcha. The next lineage holder. So it's holder. more a student passing information yeah. down as opposed to a... Like in Aikido, gotcha. you know, there's Morihei Wishaba, and then the next in line was his son. Gotcha. And now is Doshu, the grandson. He's the lineage holder of Aikido. Okay. So Bodhidharma held lineage. He was 28th in line in India, and then he, he came to China. I got the impression that he wasn't just teaching these, you know, the martial type arts and the inner arts, that he had some deeper... Te- well, yeah, he practices. was teaching the deep stuff, man. Direct perception into true he nature. Had a lot of he's, stuff going on. Yeah, he's considered the grandfather of modern of Chinese Zen or okay. Chan. Zen is more of a Japanese name, but we refer to Zen as everything. But in China, they call it Chan. Okay, Chan Buddhism is what we consider Zen. Direct okay. perception into true nature, and he was a serious serious player on the scene. It sounds. Yeah, like. he was no joke. Bodhidharma was no joke, and he, you know, we credit. Like Chinese uh, Buddhism to Bodhidharma. Is that so? Yeah, the Chan part of it, that aspect of sitting and meditating. and He kind of... Yeah, and that's a huge part of of Chinese culture. Absolutely. Yeah, Bodhidharma is highly revered in China. I mean, a lot of people that came to the cave aren't Shaolin monks. You know, they're just average people coming to pay homage to Bodhidharma and offering money to the nun and, and, and giving their thanks to Bodhi. Bodhidharma. Wow. Yeah, really very profound. I very can imagine. Profound. Yeah, it was hard to get up there. It took a lot of work. It was way up there. It was way up there. You're, you're walking the steps that all the greats, you yeah, know, yeah, many, well, many have, right? Yeah, yeah. He walked them. <laughs> Maybe who knows, right? Well, yeah, he did something. I mean, he, he probably climbed his way up there. He carved a path for sure. But he lived in this cave for nine years. It's said that he meditated for nine years, stared into this wall, and burned two holes into the wall. Wow. Which we can't really find anymore. Apparently, that's been destroyed. I can imagine. That's why you say that... 1,500 years ago, you said, or thousands? Yeah, yeah, right around 549 AD, 487 AD, he came to China. Okay. So it's been 15, 1,600 years. Okay. And uh, yeah, he's kind of one of the main founders, you know, like he really helped the Shaolin Temple a lot, helped the monks there, taught them these movements, taught them to be more healthy. Yeah. Which eventually turned into the martial arts. I mean, most people don't realize that Kung Fu is based in... Buddhism. It's Chan. It's, is that so? Yeah, it's a Shaolin. Shaolin, uh, high-end Shaolin practitioners are monks. They're they're Buddhist monks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, those two things go hand in hand. The martial arts and Buddhism go hand in hand. That's not yeah. from the Shaolin perspective. Yeah, Shaolin monk is a Buddhist monk that can that can Take, do some amazing things I with can his imagine. body. Yeah, yeah. So they're all training in addition to the training in the city. You're, you're seeing training in the Yeah, there's a different Shaolin set of temple. training going on at the Shaolin temple. And that's where I think very advanced kids that train very well, that are very sincere, that are very devoted, they they make it they train at a different level, at a different place eventually. Yeah. Because that's where I think this kid came from, this this the Shaolin monk at, at Hoi Ko's temple, Urzu Temple, Bodhidharma's number one student, is next in line, so uh, Bodhidharma's twenty eighth in line, the next lineage holder is Hoi Ko. Okay. And he uh, he has a temple up there, and th- these monks were guarding his temple. 
So yeah. yeah, I mean, this kid obviously does some kind of great kung fu, and and he's you know he, he's really kind and he's just a really good kid, and he's yeah. got really good kung fu. And so so you say it's pretty touristy there. Are we talking like souvenir shops, oh, little galore, ca- kung fu yeah, characters, yeah, 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 yeah. really? Yeah, fake. It almost malas. sounds like a Disneyland kind of. Well, the, yeah, thing this going one on. girl. I, I did some research online, and this one girl called it. She said it was a, a Shaolin circus, like a kung fu it circus, like that. Well, yeah, and I mean, like I I forgot what day it was, but I went down. To, I went down there. I think I arrived on a Thursday. Friday was. You know, pretty packed, but Saturday was just, I could not believe how hordes. many people were there. Yeah, just hordes of people showing really? up, busloads of people pouring tourists out. I saw more Westerners in three days at the Shaolin Temple than I saw in all of China and Tibet. Wow. Yeah, just packed. In a lot of Chinese people. You know, they have an ancient pagoda forest. Pagodas are, are like uh, burial stupa structures. Okay. And I think the oldest structure in China is a stupa that's there. Oh really? And in that vicinity, and yeah, those this grounds. mountain range is like considered one of the hearts of Chinese culture. So there, yeah, it looks like a mecca. They're cruising there to yeah, see. Yeah, there's everything. a lot going on there. There wow. is a lot going on there. Yeah, and a lot of people just come for a day. This girl said she showed up, and it kind of felt like a circus. But at the same time, she she said that she regrets only having one day there. And I was only going to spend three days there, but I ended up spending six days there. Oh, because you, know? oh, you, you were so enamored with it. And well, yeah, initially more. I was going to go further towards Beijing because Hoi Ko, I have a connection with this cat, Hoi Ko. Uh, I shouldn't say it like that. I have a connection with this high master named Hoi Ko. Sure. 29th in line. And he also has temples that are at the Sikong mountain range, which is n- another, I don't even know how far, far. You know, another two and a half hour plane ride from. Oh, you were going to go in there. Go yeah, there. because he also has a number of temples. He has a temple that he taught at that, that was built for him in that area. Okay. But one, it's hard to travel, and I would have had I, I wasn't ready to do that kind of traveling. But then I also wanted to spend more time at the Shaolin Temple because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I don't want to just be here for for a couple days. And I'm glad that I stayed. Yeah. Because I ended up finding his temple there. He's got a temple there. Okay. And. And then I just got to spend more time in the in the Shaolin. It sounds like you've really had a great time. I had a great time. Area. Yeah, it was a true for me. It's a true mecca, not only from a martial art perspective, from a Buddhist perspective, and of course I have a lot of I have a lot of uh, veneration for Bodhidharma. Right. Because I I've done a lot. I was part of a uh, very close to being part of a Zen order here in the United States, and of course that has a lot to do with with. Bodhidharma, you know, and traces back to yeah, it goes directly to him. So if you're doing a lot of Zen, you're into the Zen, and Bodhidharma is a main reason why that style of Buddhism is exists. That direct perception into true nature. Yeah, I knew you'd. I knew you'd know a, a chunk of knowledge about him. So yeah, I, I and I, I I just like Bodhidharma, but really, it's his number one student, Hoi Ko. He cut or off you his have hand. More of an affinity for more of a Both. connection. Yeah, I, I have a deeper connection to Hoika. It's I think it's pronounced Hoika, but here okay. in the United States we say Hoiko. He cut off his hand. He cut off his hand as a sign of devotion. I think I've heard that story. Yeah, it's a very strange story for most Westerners to understand. But it, in deep in the Dharma, it's it, it's different, right? So yeah, he cut off his left hand to study with Bodhidharma, and then I, all Shaolin monks bow with one hand. Is that so? Yeah. So okay. you look at if you look pay attention to Shaolin monks, Chinese Shaolin monks, they all bow with one hand, their right hand. Is that 
That's because of Hoi Linked Ko. Linked to Hoi Ko, okay. Yeah, because after Bodhidharma left, uh, Hoi Ko ran the Shaolin Temple, took care of the monks, trained the monks, this kind wow. of things. And even in my martial arts school, I don't know if you noticed, but even my kids, they would bow with one hand. Yeah, we all me. we all kind of got that that, that flavor. feel. Yeah, yeah that because feel. In, 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 you know who helped me out with this? Nado Sensei. What did he do? You know, well, Nado Sensei said, you know, you're, all students mimic their teacher. Because once I said, oh, Sensei, my students have a one-handed overtone. He right. said, well, of course they do, Alejandro, <laughs> because you have one hand and you hadn't really kind of put yeah that you don't really put two and two together but he's like students amplify they uh exemplify their teacher yes they're reflections of their teacher so even if you tell them not to bow with one hand they're going to because you do you right. bow to them with one hand they will bow to you with one hand but yeah hoi ko had studied the martial arts he's buddhist he has long hair i'm I can see why you do. Yeah, yeah. You have a, have a I have a very, very him. deep connection and affinity to, to to Hoi Ko. So I really wanted to go to his temple. Wow. Yeah, and That's then it's awesome. it's interesting because I learned a lot when I went there because this temple was built. The the stories say that the temple was built by Hoi Ko and Bodhidharma to help him heal his hand. Oh really? And there's a platform out there called Magic, uh, Magic, the Magic Practice Platform, and Hoi Ko spent a lot of time there uh, training and healing his hand wow and then urzu temple where the monks there asked me to spend the night we all had a deep connection so they formally invited me to spend the night with them that's awesome oh no it's unbelievable yeah unbelievable and um there's four water wells there and they each have a different flavor like sour and sweet and bitter and and the it's said that bodhidharma helped dig these wells to make it easier for Hoi Ko to drink water. Wow. And then um, to also help him heal his hand. Wow. You know, so yeah, for me, this is great. Like I had I had such a great time. I, I went see. to Bodhidharma's cave twice, you know, and Did I went to Hoi, Hoi, uh, Hoi Ko's temple twice. And I mean, I'm on a pilgrimage. I, well, I can see you're probably just thrilled to oh, be I in had a great time. neck of the woods. I had a great time. And then, you know, after I spent the night with these monks, I got to do their night ceremony and then I got to wake up with them and do their morning ceremony. But we also watched the sunset Wow, they were great because they're like, "Oh, Alejandro, when we when we when the tourists go, the mountain is ours." Wow, and I was like, "Well, what do you guys do?" He's like, "Well, we we're gonna we're gonna watch the, go watch the sunset. We watch the sunset every night, and then we eat dinner, and then we drink tea and go to bed. We do ceremony wow. and we go to bed." You got like the extra VIP. I got package. the VIP. Wow, yeah, so VIP. Yeah, they totally put me up. And then in the morning, we get up and we eat breakfast, and then we go watch the sunrise, and then we drink tea, and then they open up the temple. Like at, at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, people start showing up. Wow, and it's another day, another the throngs just Yeah, all the, all the tourists start coming through. You know, the first wave of people are all the uh, souvenir shop people. Yeah. Because there's souvenir shops everywhere. Did you did you buy like the, you know, I went to the Shaolin Temple and all <laughs> I, I got couldn't was find a t-shirt. shirt. Yeah, like, <laughs> I couldn't find a cool t-shirt. <laughs> Did you get um, some 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 goodies? Some swag? no, I didn't get that much. Right, uh, yeah, pretty I commercialized. Did, pretty commercialized. I didn't think the swag was that good, and then um, I didn't know. I didn't get too much. I did get a little statue of Bodhidharma? I'm looking for a statue of Hoi Ka. That's hard to get. Yeah, are they? He's very unknown, Is considering he? what he what he's done. But eh, that's all right. I Whoa. didn't get that much. I'm not that. Well, you had the experience. I mean, you you got the experience, which is I got the experience. But as a Buddhist, yeah, what I thought what's more important to say is that. I acquired a lot of gear, products, Dharma objects in Chengdu because they have a Tibetan section. Oh, they have to, like a little China, like little little Tibet. Oh, really? And yeah, like there's so many good 
high so quality got, products got, there. Uh, like, like you say, th- things and yeah, and Tibetan holy objects, Dharma okay. gear, clothing that you just couldn't get. You can't here. get anywhere. Yeah, it it yeah just yeah wow. very reasonable. But I did get a little statue of Bodhidharma. Did you at the Shaolin Temple and and. Um, a couple of other small things, but not that much. And actually, when I was leaving at 10 o'clock, like at night in the morning when we were eating breakfast and we went to watch the sun rise, which was just unbelievable. Oh, I can imagine. You no, know, just unbelievable. I had such a great connection with these three three abbots, and one of them's a Shaolin monk, and this kid, he's... <laughs> the same kid that was cruising with you in the in the town, uh, that was kind of hanging out with you in the town, like that was your your guide the one that you thought knew some some stuff yeah 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 okay, yeah this kid, he was with you the whole yeah time, he was up much. at urzu temple okay he was up at the hoiko's temple okay and uh we pretty much stayed at the temple but when we were you know before i left they're like well what time do you want to go back down and i'm like i don't know i'd like to be down by 10 or 11 you know because it's my last day at the shaolin temple and i want to go to the shaolin temple and then the little kid grabbed his phone and translated some stuff, you know, because he can speak Chinese into his phone and then it translates in English. And then he just holds it up for you. Yeah, then I can hear it. And he's okay. like, well, how about how about I take you and give you a private tour of the Shaolin Temple? <laughs> You're like, no, I don't really have time for that, right? I've got to be back to the souvenir shop, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, my yeah. gosh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so, we, you know, because there, there's a gondola that takes us up, like a ski lift that takes oh, us up to the so Temple. There's yeah. some infrastructure yeah, there. Yeah, there's some strong infrastructure there. So we had to take the, the ski lift down. And then, you know, then we're just going to the Shaolin Temple, and he knows all the monks there. Wow. So he's getting me in. He actually got me into the... There's a training hall inside the Shaolin Temple where the the, the concrete floor, which are all brick, Is right? that so? There's okay. divots in there from hundreds of years wow. of Shaolin monks, like, hitting the ground and pounding and stepping and kicking. and Wow. And it's funny, too, because everyone is on the outside of the gate looking in. He's like, well, he's like, come, 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 come. And he started talking to this monk and the monk started saying, yeah, 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 yeah. And the next thing you know, he's moving the gate and we're walking into this training ground that nobody else is in. And everyone's wow. just looking at me and this kid like doing Shaolin Kung Fu forms, you know, and <laughs> the walls so awesome. have all these paintings of like Bodhidharma's history going there. And, you know, things like 700 years old. I mean, I am in a totally restricted area, wow. but I'm getting the VIP treatment. That's so awesome. Yeah. And they took me, he just, he gave me the full tour and then he's like, let's eat lunch with all the other Chan monks. And how like, was that? Uh, it's very And you've zen. done that sort of thing before. I've kind of done that before and we've done it at, yeah. at, at the Zen retreats, you know, I hate to say Zen, but it's Chan, but sure. you know, I mean, most people, even when they make reference to Zen Buddhism in China make reference to Chan Buddhism about China, say Zen. Zen is the... It's the Japanese version. It's the Japanese version of that kind of Buddhism. Yeah. But yeah, it's very quiet and very quick. We only, you know, there's no joke. You got to know what to do. So if you want food, you push your plate forward and then they pour food in and everybody gets the same amount. Uh You know, and then one cook comes by and serves one part and the the one, somebody follows them and they just go through this like Zenipede, this chain, Mm -hmm. you know, and then they ring a bell, you know, we're all standing. And then when everybody comes in, of course, they're all looking at me. And my friend told him, he's like, I told them that you're, you're going to be eating with us. He's like, don't worry about it. And I'm like, it, it's not a problem, you know. And right. We're all standing, and then they ring a bell, and then we do a prayer, and then we all sit down, and then we do another prayer, and then he rings another bell, and then the cooks come through, and they start serving the food. And wow. Yeah, and then, you know, then we then we get our food, and then, you know, we ring another bell, and then we start eating. What are you eating? You know, pretty much like uh, sweet potatoes, mushrooms, they call them fungus, uh, 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 this green leafy thing bok choy okay steamed bread 
and some other ingredients. No rice, or is I think they did they did bring some rice through. But mainly, yeah. it's that vegetables, vegetables and rice is pretty much what we ate. Okay, and then we only have a certain amount of time to eat, and then they come by and they do another sweep. You know, they're like, "Who wants seconds?" That kind of thing. Okay. If you want seconds, you got to push a plate forward. You know? Or else you don't get seconds. Or you don't huh? get seconds. You know, and, <laughs> and it's funny too because I was, I kind of wanted seconds, but I forgot. You know, I'm not used to doing this kind right. of thing. And the, the the chef was standing there and standing there, and then he just kind of he just made this motion. He clanked his his uh, spoon to the his boy. He's like, Cuck-cuck. I was like, "Oh, oh, yeah." I pushed my. He's plate giving forward. you a yeah, little bit of a pass. <laughs> it's like yeah. you're new here, right? Yeah, yeah. He's like, "Okay, you're kind of new, so we'll we'll let we'll let that slide," and. Uh, then he, you know, then we went through, but then, you know, then when we're done eating, which whatever that, you know, means, you know, I'm trying to eat every morsel of food, you know, right. I'm like scooping it all up. And then they do another sweep where they bring like soup. Oh, know? really? Yeah. So then because they pour the soup in the bowl and then it helps gather all the food and then they do another sweep at the end, they pour hot, hot water in your bowl, your empty bowl, and then you, you wash it around. And then you drink it, so you 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 eat everything. Wow! Yeah, nothing is wasted. Wow! Yeah, that, it's pretty it's, efficient. It's part of the, the tradition. Okay. And I think I we were maybe there for eleven minutes. So it's, it's, things are moving along pretty quickly there and there. Yeah, there's no man. It's not like an Italian meal where you sit down for an yeah, hour. I can imagine. No, there's no talking. You're just there to eat. And wow! It's pretty pretty straightforward. And that's awesome. Yeah. What? Yeah. 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 Well, and the kid I mean, showed me some other things. There's a ginkopa tree there that's got all these holes in it from where the Shaolin monks do this finger they call it the steel finger technique You're or something kidding. like that where they hit the tree and you know because yeah, they, they can do well, they can do stuff like what do stuff with pound and hit nails and with their head or yeah do, they, they can do, do things stuff, right? most people think are impossible sleep in the Himalayas sleep overnight in minus 30 degree weather and they can you know they can project their chi to protect themselves you can kick them as hard hard as you want and it yeah. won't hurt them and you can't choke them and they do things where they hang from nooses. Yeah. You know, and then they, they'll do headstands for four and a half hours. And yeah, they can do amazing things with their bodies. And so it's you saw the these training. holes in yeah. this tree where they're just boom, boom, yeah. boom. It's part of their training. I actually stuck my finger in one of the holes. It's a perfect fit. Wow. You know? Yeah. That's wow. part of their training. You know, I mean, some of the things you see in the cheesy Kung Fu movies aren't real, but they're based in a lot of stuff that is real. Yeah. And that kind of training is totally real that's the thing about life is some of the craziest outlandish things are really real have been real yeah the power of thinking is beyond measure absolutely immeasurable and and if you think something is impossible is is not possible then you're just giving unlimited power to having unlimited thinking right so yeah that's the shaolin monks don't think like that they're just expand yeah they're expansive you know they're what they're they can do things with their bodies other humans cannot do right but it hasn't historically they've been a fairly closed i mean they're not like sharing a lot of this deep esoteric knowledge with the world are they or well it's not so much that it's it's like trying to share like uh be like trying to share um uh, nuclear fission oh. equations, you know, it's not so much, I mean, I could share it, they could share it, but there's no point because you don't have the training, you gotcha. don't have the foundation for it. It's not like something but, that you can like just Like any buy. martial art, it's not, you're just going to go and learn it in a day or something. Yeah, it's no, it a, takes it's a way a, of life. It's a whole lifetime okay. type of training. So yeah, I mean, it's accessible. If you want to put the time in. If probably. you want to put the time in, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, for a long time, it was very isolated. But a lot of things around the world are. I mean, yeah. Tibet was very closed. China is very closed. You know, a lot of other regions around the world are fairly closed. And well, it hasn't it just been in the last, I don't know, 
10, 15 years that they've started touring or yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Bruce Lee did a lot. He really spread a lot of kung fu, and before that, not so much. You know, I don't, I don't think at the turn of the century, kung fu was very common. I can imagine. You know, but it's a Buddhist monastery. It's very isolated at that time, and and it's not that they tried to be isolated. It just simply is how things unfolded. Yeah. But now it's a lot different. It sounds like it. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's really touristy. I, I remember we were up at uh, we were up at the magic platform, magic practicing platform, and I'm hanging out with the the monks of Hoi Ko's temple, and this uh, Chinese guy actually spoke English. He he lives in Britain, so his his English has a British overtone. But he okay. translated some stuff for us, you know, and and uh, I actually started to record it, and he's like, "Oh, oh extra pressure," you know. But the monks started talking. And then he was translating this story of Hoi Ko after he cut off his hand and he was talking to Bodhidharma and, and uh, he translated this thing and and uh, and the guy was funny and he's like, all I can do is translate that. He's like, but you want the deeper meaning. I, I, I'm not the one to talk to. I could probably tell you he probably enjoyed worldly life a lot, partied pretty. Yeah, because he didn't really have that. Well, he's like, I can't, I can't do anything for you here other than do straight translation. Right. I can't, I can't talk about the meaning, you know, and, and then... Uh, I was like, well, no, I'm not, I don't expect you to. That's for deeper contemplation sure. with different people and monks and things like that. And and he's like, and I don't even know here at the Shaolin Temple if that's, you know, even, that that kind of stuff is not so common here anymore. And I was like, yeah, mostly it's uh, it's a World Heritage site. It's There's a lot of tourism here. But yeah. I was like, deep inside, it's still here. Right. The, the, the things that have been going on for thousands of years are still, still going, going on. on. Yeah. <laughs> even so, though they got the... The, what'd you, what did Dai Gao call it? The, 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 the Kung Fu Circus. The Kung Fu Circus yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's interesting because I have a friend who does Kung Fu, this French guy, and he lives he lives in Yangshu, and he's been to the Shaolin Temple. He's been to Bodhidharma's cave. And he I kind bet. of said, you know, he's like, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that it's like that, but at the same time, if that wasn't going on, I don't think the temple could actually support itself. Oh, I can imagine, because yeah. they probably have a huge uh, rev source of revenue there yeah. with all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just how well they regulate it and things like that. Yeah. So it was good. It was, you know, for me, it was just a phenomenal experience oh, all like around. It. I mean, the medical mission, the whole Tibetan overtone, being a Tibetan Buddhist, and then as a martial artist and as an old school Zen practitioner and a Buddhist practitioner to go to the Shaolin Temple, to go to, Hoi, you know, Hoi Ko's temple, Urzu temple, and to be asked to spend the night in the private tour of the Shaolin temple. And Dude, I mean, that's that was like, a once in a lifetime that's thing. A pinnacle. That's yeah, a it was just phenomenal. I made some great friends, you know. And, that's so awesome. And it was just really, for me, very profound. Very, very imagine. profound. Yeah, it was really a very, very special experience. Wow. Well, yeah. I appreciate you sharing it with us. Oh, you're welcome, your Mark. Yeah. yeah, whatever I can do to help enhance the human experience. Oh, it, it you know? does. I mean, this is like, this is the deep knowledge that we yeah. need, you know. To, to inspire people and, and, um, you know, it really enhanced my life. And oh, I, I, I think that. in any capacity, whatever it is that you're into, there's places you can go to deepen that. Yeah. You know, martial arts or business or marketing or, you know, musicians, you dancers have places of Mecca and places they want to go and places to get higher training and things yeah, like and that. Yeah, and there is an energy when you go to those places. If you're doing that thing, you know, whether it's yeah. business or marketing, and you go there and you feel yeah, the presence yeah, it, of the masters, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we all, as humans, need to enhance our experience in life. Yeah. And sometimes you got to choose, you got to find, you know, and I knew that I had an opportunity to do this, to do service, to go to my teacher's monastery. I actually went to my teacher's cave, too, Zochen Kempel Chogun. How was that? Cave. Phenomenal. You know, and his cave is, is, it doesn't look like anything. I mean, Bodhidharma's cave is well 
there's a lot of upkeep. It's very famous. Right. You know, people put a big arc in front of it, and you know, there's a guardian there and all that. But my teacher's cave is very humble. How many years did he spend in that he cave? He lived in that cave for seven years. Oh, that's right. I think you mentioned that yeah. before. That's a chunk of time. Yeah. Some people say five. He mostly says seven. Some people say nine. But I'm pretty sure seven years living in the cave is no joke. No. I, I Well, yeah. if, two months. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 come on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. But that's part of it, too. You know, I went to some really special places in Tibet. Like, you know, for me, this is a big pilgrimage. I, I can yeah. see. It's like a packed spiritual yeah. It really there. was. It really was. And and it's one of the ways that I enhance my, oh, yeah. my life. I'm sure it's gonna yeah. you're gonna carry with that with you for lifetimes. For a lifetime, for you know. sure. And then I'm gonna be talking about it on my podcast. Yeah, and, tell us where yeah. we can hear that at. Well, you know, coming up here pretty soon, you can go to onehandspeaks.com. You can find me on iTunes there and other miscellaneous places to boot. All social media, you can find me at onehandspeaks.com. And I'll be doing a one week more in-depth talk about the medical mission and going to Urzu's temple and some other funky experiences and things like that. Yeah, I can't wait to hear those. Yeah, 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 yeah. So check me out. I got some cool podcasts right now. They revolve around one-handed stories and storytelling, but check it out. Yeah, and I have. They are. They're fascinating. You know, I I laid here on the floor the other night listening to one of them. You know, you're, you're, what, you're, you're quite a ways in now. Yeah, I'm uh, maybe 20, as, 25 podcasts yeah, so in. 20, some, yeah, there's some stuff. To I got some cool content in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some a lot of it's humorous, a lot of it's deep. It covers some ground. Yeah, I love them. So check me out, and then do Definitely. what you can. Do what you can. Support, support Mark here. Support enhancing your hey, life experience. You. Help people along and, and and share Mark's podcast. He's got a great thing going here. He's really trying to help people out. Thank you. Yeah, and I know. I appreciate you coming by and, and sharing your goods. Hey, anytime, anytime, my friend. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up. Until next time, all the best, health, wealth, and success. All right. <laughs>